For those who have been here, we know that Carl, uh, the preacher, is, is going through Matthew. For those who are visitors, it's, um, we've reached um, this point in, in, um, in Matthew, or the preacher has. Let's read. Uh, we're going from 5.11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now we'll uh, move on to chapter 6, verse 1. And I'll read to verse 18. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room Close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's uh, great to be here again this morning, isn't it? And uh, if you're a visitor, let me also extend uh, a welcome to you as well. 
uh, joining us here in uh, the middle of our series in the book of Matthew. Uh, And it's been exciting, I think, uh, to go through the first uh, five chapters so far of Matthew. And I'm excited again this morning. Uh, I I think I say that every week. Uh, I had a friend who always used to say, uh, about Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a, who was a preacher in, in London last century. Martin Lloyd-Jones would say, every week, this is the most important truth in all the Bible. Uh, and it was the same every week. Uh, and maybe uh, I'm excited every week, but maybe that, that might be a good thing, I don't know. Anyway, I'm excited today because uh, uh, I'm excited about uh, this particular passage and thinking about what it means to be a genuine and authentic Christian witness uh, in the world. I don't know uh, if you realised... As, as we read uh, that bit from Matthew's biography of the life of Jesus, whether you noticed something of a conundrum. Uh, the conundrum, quite simply, is this. How do you let your light shine before men so that they can see your good deeds and glorify God? How do you let your good deeds be seen by people and not do your acts of righteousness in front of people? How do you both let your light, your good deeds, shine before people and not do your acts of righteousness in front of people? How do those two things go together? I think in that, in in sort of trying to wrestle with how those things fit together, we begin to get a much clearer picture of what it means to be an authentic, genuine Christian witness. I think uh, unpacking that will help us to understand what the type of righteousness uh, which Jesus is saying his true followers will produce. Uh, I think the place to start is with uh, verses 13 to 16 uh, of chapter 5. There Jesus says two things. He says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Uh, Those two illustrations are pretty straightforward, I think, in some ways. Uh, In Jesus' day, salt was the preservative for food. Uh, It kept things from going rotten and so what Jesus is saying to his disciples is that they are supposed to be the salt of the earth. They are supposed to stop uh, or or help prevent the world from being as rotten as it could be. Jesus also says, you are the light of the world and the light of the world imagery helps us to unpack how that salty preservation actually works in practice. How exactly does Jesus... uh, true disciples, have that preserving effect on the world. Well, verse 16, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. What Jesus is saying then is that the light of the people who follow him is their good deeds. Instead of hiding those good deeds under a bowl, they are to let them shine Uh, If they let those things be plainly seen, if they let them shine, if they put them out there, then it will lead uh, people to praising God. But it's more than just praise for God which will result. Uh, It's more than just, what Jesus is talking about, it's more than just unbelievers looking at Christians and thinking, uh, isn't God great? And then sort of leaving it at that. Jesus has in mind something greater than that. Uh, remember uh, maybe in chapter 4 we did that a few weeks ago in chapter 4 verse 16 it says there the people living in darkness have seen a great light Uh, on those living in the land of the shadow of death a light has dawned so in chapter 4 the light was the good news about Jesus in a similar way the light 
which, the, which Jesus' followers shine uh, is also the light of the good news about Jesus. So how do Jesus' disciples have a salty, preserving effect on the world? How do they do that? They do it by in their lives displaying the power of the gospel through the good de- their good deeds which Jesus is doing in them. The crucial question then I think is, what are those good deeds? What qualities best witness to the power of God in the Gospel? What qualities will lead most to the praise of God? And I think Jesus' point in this this part of Matthew, in his teaching here, is that it is the Beatitudes that will best do that. A life described, characterised by the Beatitudes will most likely result in the praise of God, poverty of spirit, mourning, meekness, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, being merciful, being pure in heart, making peace, suffering persecution with joy, all those things will best witness to the power and the grace of God. I think it is so crucial to hold Jesus' full-orbed picture of holiness, which he unpacks in the, Beatitudes, in the Beatitudes, to hold that together with this call to be salt and light in the world. If we don't do that, we end up with a narrow view of holiness, I think, which can be utterly disastrous. Why is that? Why will it be disastrous? It will be disastrous because when people think of holiness, they tend to think of obeying rules. But obeying rules without poverty of spirit, without evident dependence on God, without showing mercy, will simply lead people to self-righteousness. It will simply lead people to self-righteousness rather than righteousness which is absolutely grounded in the good news about Jesus. Righteousness which is a gift from God. So, for example, uh, if you are careful at work uh, or at school maybe to always follow the right uh, procedures, to pay uh, the right amount of money, to pay the right tax, uh, to do everything above board, to do everything uh, in the right way, that's good, right? That's good. You should be doing that. But if you can never at the same time accept your mistakes, if you can never at the same time forgive others for their mistakes, if you can never show mercy or receive mercy, then the message that you send is entirely legalistic, isn't it? But it runs deeper than that. You might uh, admit your mistakes to others, uh, But if you never show them the gospel is not about just your personal character between you and them, your relationship between the two of you, if you never show them that it's about trust in Jesus, then they'll never understand the gospel. If you never express uh, in so many words your trust in Jesus, if you never express grief over sin and and hunger and thirsting after righteousness, then no one will ever take hold of what the, the gospel really is about. They'll just think it's about obeying rules. They'll get from your words, the message that they'll get from your words and actions will be a false gospel. The same can be said about the gospel that your actions and words preach in your home. 
you might deal with your children with incredible mercy uh, and with a tremendous sense of your own uh, failings and your own sinfulness. You might display great trust in God, but if you never speak longingly of a desire, of a burning passion for growing holiness and righteousness, then the gospel that you're portraying in your home is a lopsided gospel, isn't it? You see, we need to hold all these aspects together, this full-orbed picture that Jesus paints in the Beatitudes because it's only that comprehensive picture of the nature of gospel righteousness that comes as a gift from God. It's only that full-orbed picture which will really and truly convey the nature of the gospel. It's important to realise too, I think, that this is not just a message about actions as well, but this witness covers our words as well as our actions and even our thoughts. Our witness comes not only from right actions but also from right words, gospel-soaked words and even from right and gospel-soaked thoughts. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. In other words, the kind of people... Uh, who Jesus is calling us to be is people from whom the good news about the gospel, the good news about Jesus, simply oozes out. That's what he's calling us to be. People so entrenched in the gospel way of thinking, people whose lives are so oriented by the gospel characteristics of the Beatitudes that others around us can't help but see the full message of the gospel by the way that we live and speak. For the last 10 years, uh, at least probably for a lot longer than that, uh, evangelicals have been talking, haven't they, about the failure of the church in evangelism. And church planting is one of the, the ways that people are seeking to remedy that by a renewed emphasis on planting churches. Uh, and that's an important emphasis, I think, but it's only one side of the picture. To my mind, the greater fault uh, in evangelical circles and in Christian circles has been the loss of what you might call eminent holiness. Holiness is not even in the vocabulary of most Christians. Peace and grace and forgiveness are in the vocabulary, but deep and radical holiness is is often not. If people do pursue holiness, it tends to be uh, the values of Western society more than the values of Jesus and his kingdom. So it tends to focus more on thrift than generosity politeness rather than mercy, emotional stability rather than poverty of spirit and grief over sin. It tends to stop at clean words and it, and it doesn't go any deeper to clean hearts and clean thoughts. Sometimes uh, it doesn't even make clean words. The lack of interest in holiness is excused often by the idea that we live by grace Uh, and not under law. And and next week we're going to unpack a little bit more about how those two two aspects fit together in the Gospel. But for now I think we need to realise that Jesus somehow is able to hold both together. He's able to hold together both rich and merciful and amazing grace and passionate and desperate hungering and thirsting for righteousness 
and eminent holiness. In fact, Jesus goes further than that, doesn't he? He says, if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? In other words, Jesus is saying that one of the key purposes of being a disciple, of following him, is so that the power of the gospel and the holiness and righteousness of his followers might be plainly seen. Imagine if we were people of eminent holiness, characterised by the Beatitudes. Maybe we are, maybe we are that. Uh, But if we are or if we were to be, what would that look like? What would that mean? Well, it would mean that this would be a community with poverty of spirit on display. It would be a community where people wept over their sin and over the sins of the community and over the sins of the world. It would be a community where people clearly trusted and submitted to Jesus, whatever the costs. It would be a community which hungered passionately for imminent holiness. It would be a community which was known for mercy and for making peace between each other and between people outside. I think there are people in this church who bear those marks evidently and eminently and I think that's amazing. But what if it wasn't just one or two or ten or twenty or however many it is? What if our whole church were people of eminent holiness? What would we expect to see then? I think the thing that we would expect to see is people outside the church praising God and coming to faith in Jesus Christ. I suspect, as Christians, that we have some serious repentance to do. We have to get on our knees, I think, and we have to confess our lack of interest in holiness and in following Jesus to hard places because it is hard and it's costly and it involves a total reorientation of our character, not just what we do, but who we are. We need to plead with Jesus to show us that undeserved mercy and that forgiveness and to unleash in us that same power which rose him from the dead. The thing that we need most in our day, I think, is a thing which the people in Jesus' day needed as well and that is to be people utterly transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, that's the first thing. That, uh, that authentic Christian witness leads to, to conversion. But in many ways that's only half the picture. Uh, and if that was only, the only picture that uh, Jesus painted, that we painted this morning, we would, I think, become very easily discouraged. Uh, Jesus, in fact, portrays two reactions to authentic Christian witness. Uh, at the end of the Beatitudes he says this, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We thought a little bit about that last week if you were here uh, and we saw how people who truly follow Jesus cannot help but be persecuted. It's just the way of the world. Uh, Whether that's being killed, whether it's being put in prison, Uh, whether it's being insulted uh, or falsely accused. 
But held alongside this idea of being salt and light in the world, uh, we can clearly see that the righteousness that Jesus is talking about uh, is a divisive righteousness. Uh, It's a divisive righteousness and holiness in the sense that it divides the world. There are two reactions, uh, one or the other. People are either converted uh, by the holiness and praise God or, or it results in persecution. Uh, And it's important to hold both together. The two results of authentic Christian witness are praise for God and or persecution. And if we don't hold them both together, I think we'll become discouraged. You see, if you only ever expect uh, conversion to result, then when you're persecuted, you'll be asking yourself, what am I doing wrong? Why is this not going like Jesus said it would? Why are these people not being converted? On the other hand, if you only ever expect persecution, then most likely likely you'll withdraw into kind of your own world and and you'll protect yourself and you'll become adversarial and defensive and threatened. But Jesus said we ought to expect both. And here's the greater challenge. He says whichever we receive, we ought to receive it with joy. That's not hard to do, is it, uh, when people are converted? It's not hard to be joyful when someone gives their life to Jesus? But it's hard to do, I think, when we're persecuted. When I, uh, when I was working in Olveston, uh, there was a local coffee shop and uh, the coffee shop owner decided to open a little bit of a gallery out the back uh, and, he, and he got this, this picture and the kind of picture that could be construed as being offensive to Christians uh, and so he asked one of the local ministers who he was friends with uh, what, he, what this minister thought of, uh, of the picture. And the minister said, well, I think it could be offensive to some Christians and maybe it's better not to show it. Now, the paper got hold of that and, uh, you know, you can imagine what happened. Christian wants to censor, you know, Christian leader wants to censor art world and all that kind of stuff. And there were furious letters to the editor, you know, disgusted at what this minister had done and reviling Christianity. And people within the church were sort of up in arms as well and writing their own letters to the editor and angry and and frustrated until somebody said, you know, maybe instead of being angry and frustrated, we should just do what Jesus said to do. Maybe we should rejoice and be exceedingly glad that we've been counted worthy of suffering for the sake of his name. What an extraordinary thing to do. What an extraordinary perspective to have on persecution. We know that we're going to be persecuted and yet so often when we are, our response is not joy but bitterness. Imagine what it would be like to stop and to pray with the deepest humility and the deepest brokenness. Lord, thank you so much that you've considered me worthy not just to be like Jesus in holiness and righteousness, but to be like Jesus in suffering for his sake. Paul says uh, to the Philippians, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. I think that's one of the most extraordinary statements in the whole Bible. It's been granted to you not just to believe. That's only half half of the glory, half of the joy. Not just to believe, but to suffer for Jesus. True beatitude-like righteousness which comes from trusting and following Jesus, that comes as a gift from God, 
is a righteousness which divides the world. It divides the world into those who persecute and to those and and those who praise God and receive the gospel. And we always ought to expect both. Uh, which finally brings us at last to to chapter six, uh, to the warnings about hypocrisy and to this this warning about doing the danger of doing acts of righteousness in front of people. In three uh, vignettes, that's uh, the word that's not used often, I think it's a word to use in your conversation this week. In three vignettes, uh, Jesus presents the danger of public acts of righteousness. Uh, So in verses 1 to 4 of chapter 6, Jesus warns about announcing your gifts to the poor with trumpets. It's a comical picture really, isn't it? Uh, it's the kind of picture that you would expect more in a British comedy, you know, this guy giving to the poor and announcing it with trumpets. It's ridiculous uh, and outrageous uh, and it's deliberately so to make a point. Uh, in verses 5 to 15, Jesus warns about praying on the street corners to be seen by men uh, and about praying needlessly with many words uh, in order to impress people with eloquence. Uh, in verses 16 to 18, Jesus warns about fasting which is done to impress people. These hypocrites, says Jesus, deliberately look sombre, they make themselves disfigured, uh, just so that no one misses the point, so that no one knows, knows uh, ever, so that everyone knows rather what they're doing. Uh, it's tempting, I think, to think that Jesus' point here is that uh, you shouldn't do religious things in public, but in private. So, so things like praying and, uh, and fasting, they're private things, whereas peacemaking and being pure in heart, which are sort of more elements of character, I suppose, that those things should be done in public. But, but I don't think that kind of division really works. I don't think that makes sense because one of these acts of righteousness is, is showing mercy. It's, it's giving to the poor. And, and mercy is one of the things that Jesus has called on his disciples to show to, you know, as part of their letting their light shine. So, however we kind of put these two things together, it has to be the connection has to run deeper than a simple dichotomy between religious duties and and things of of character. So, how does it fit together? How does the call to be salt and light fit uh, together with this? Well, in each case, Jesus says something critical. Uh, verse two is a good example. So when you give to the needy, he says, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Quite simply, Jesus is saying this, you can seek your reward from people or you can seek your reward from God. It's about motives, in other words. People who parade their so-called righteousness in front, of, uh, in front of other people for their own sake aren't righteous at all. They're not serving God, they're serving themselves. There's a subtle danger in living and pursuing lives of eminent holiness and that danger is that we become thoroughgoing hypocrites. The danger is that we might really be people uh, who are serving ourselves rather than serving God. The danger is that we give to the needy so that people think well of us. The danger is that we pray so that people will admire us. The danger is that we fast and give things up, not because we love God, but because we love ourselves. 
self-seeking acts of righteousness will never bring glory to God because they're not fundamentally about God. They're about you. And they don't arise from the power of God and the gospel, they arise from our own selfish hearts. And self-seeking acts of righteousness, because of that, will never bring people to faith in God because they're not about God and about God's power, they're about us. They're not done out of response to his mercy. They're not done out of poverty of spirit. They're not done with tears over sin. They're not done uh, about with hungry and thirsting after righteousness. They're not done out of sorry. They're done out of selfishness. They're done for yourself. They're done for your own glory and in your own strength. You might remember from uh, from last time that the kind of righteousness embodied in the Beatitudes is fundamentally a righteousness which is obviously and plainly centred on Jesus Christ. It's a righteousness which is all about pursuing Jesus and pursuing his greatness and his glory. The remedy then to hypocrisy is not to never give to the poor for fear that you might be seen. The remedy to hypocrisy is not to never pray in public for fear that you might use too many words and it's not to never fast because you fear that someone might notice you. The remedy is to live a life radically reoriented around Jesus and following him and loving him. That perspective lies at the heart of true righteousness and authentic Christian witness. It's that kind of life which is about glorifying and following Jesus. It's that kind of life that will bring praise to God. It's that kind of life which will bring people to conversion. It's that kind of life which will inevitably bring persecution. And here's the thing, that's the only kind of righteousness that Jesus works in us when we trust in him. Jesus doesn't work in us self-righteousness. He doesn't work in us self-glory. Jesus works in us love and obedience to him. When we turn from following and pursuing sin, when we turn from following that to trusting and following Jesus, the righteousness which Jesus works in us is not self-seeking hypocritical righteousness, but it's righteousness which is every day more and more focused on him and on our Heavenly Father. At the end of the day, I guess you could say that there are two results of authentic Christian witness. There's conversion and there's persecution, but there's also a danger. And that danger is that we do, we let our light shine before men, not because we're pursuing Jesus, but because we're pursuing ourselves. Let's pray that we wouldn't do that. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you for this uh, full orbed and comprehensive. Uh, portrait of, of righteousness, gospel righteousness, which Jesus uh, gives us uh, in his teaching in Matthew. And Lord, it's, uh, it's easy to look at that and to feel ashamed uh, and inadequate. And, and Lord, we are inadequate. But Lord, we, we pray that our feelings of inadequacy wouldn't lead us to despair 
but to pursuing with an ever-increasing passion and desire for that true holiness and true righteousness. Lord, we pray that we would be people who are poor in spirit, who mourn over our own sin and the sin in the world. Lord, people who are meek and who trust in you, whatever the cost. People who hunger and thirst for righteousness. People who are merciful. People who are pure in heart. People who make peace. People who suffer persecution with joy. Lord, we pray that we would be like that, that you would make us like that through the power of the gospel and not for our own sake, Lord, but so that others might see the light which is in Jesus Christ. Father, we ask it for his name and for his name's sake. Amen.